want you to stand one more time, if you would please. First, I want to let you know what we're doing today so that you can, can just get prepared. Um, in elder meeting this week, we held an elder meeting this week and uh, felt very strongly driven to, uh, I, Brian, as you know, we have another campus that we go and we, that on the south side. And so usually on Sunday morning, I preach and then skedaddle out of here and uh, so we can preach on the other side. And how many of you know Brian's very good? And uh, I just really felt impressed. So you can all relax. We're, go- we're not going to be in a hurry today. Um, I felt very impressed to take my time in teaching what we're teaching and just to minister to you. We've got some things we need to take care of. We need to get healthy and strong and ready for what God has. And in, we've been, uh, let's see, we're about eight months into this transition. And I just thought, you know what, it's time for me to take extra time, especially on Super Bowl Sunday, because you have nowhere to go. There's nothing happening. And uh, I'll tell you what, I wish I was a TV manufacturer this week. I was at Costco, man, and they're hauling those things out of there like crazy. I'm thinking, take one to my house. But nobody did. So anyway, I wouldn't have that much time for it anyway. But um, I want you to turn your Bibles. This is not the message. We're going to pray first. How many of you know that prayer is absolutely more important than anything else I think we can do? We're going to pray. I want you to turn with me to Mark 8, chapter 15, and I'm going to ask your patience for a moment. As you stand there, I know your legs are probably tired and and, uh, all kinds of stuff, but we're going to pray this morning. We're going to deal with some stuff, and uh, I'm going to tell you what we're going to deal with. And uh, as you get to know me, you're going to learn some things about me. Some of you haven't had a chance yet to really see me and get to know me. I, on the inside, I'm a really nice guy. I'm probably the nicest guy you're ever, ever going to meet. There is nothing that I won't do for you. All right, stop it. There's nothing I won't do for you. There's no, there's absolutely no limits that I won't go to, to help you. But there are some things. Here's the difference between leadership and assumed leadership. True leadership has principles and will not give up those principles for anything. We lack today in our nation and in our pulpits principle that says, this is it, we go no farther. And I just felt this morning, we're going to pray over some very specific things. These are two principles that are huge to to our church, to True Life Church. They were huge in the church that we built over on the south side, and they're going to become huge principles here. And I want to just give context, start up here in Mark chapter 8, Verse 11, remember last week we defined what a Pharisee was. A Pharisee is basically a person who's against everything. They're against God. They're against the moving of the Holy Spirit. 
They're against the person of Jesus Christ. They're against his love. They literally operate their life by other people's opinions. See, I'm I'm, going to open up here. I love you. You need to know that. Unconditionally, I love you. But I am not going to change my principles because of your opinion. Because I know where we're going. I told the elders, I said, the bus is going this way. Keep your hands off the steering wheel, which they don't do that anyway. But I said, because how many of you know, any, we got some school bus drivers in here. We got an airline pilot for crying out. If you know that too many cooks spoil the Vichy Soie, can you imagine what it's like getting too many hands on a, on a steering wheel? That bus is bound for the ditch. Now, nobody's done. I'm just getting principle in here because we're going to pray very specifically against two spirits this morning that have attached themselves to the north side. And I'm not going to apologize for it anymore. I'm going to speak truth. I don't care about feelings being hurt. We're just going to go for it. How many of you that? How many of you know when you go into the doctor to get surgery, you don't say, well, doctor, um, I know that I need this tumor removed, but um, please don't make it hurt. Not going to work. They can give you all the anesthesia in the world. I've come out of surgery before, and it still hurt. That's why they give you the little drugs afterwards. They're so wonderful and kind of... No, but you understand what I'm saying. It hurts. It hurts. And uh, I love you enough to say, here's where we're going. Jump on. Let's go for it. Let's make this a great place. Amen? So here it is. The Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him and seeking from him a sign from heaven. And here's the word, testing him. Isn't it amazing we're always testing God? Jesus says, come on, guys, let's go. I'm the son of God. Well, we need to run some tests. I mean, by this time, the blind were seen, the lame were walking, dead had been raised, and they're testing him still. Now, verse 12 is huge, and, and, and I, I shared this with our staff and with our eldership this week because I wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. But he sighed deeply. Amplified says that he sighed and groaned deeply in his spirit. Let me tell you something. There has to be something wrong when Jesus sighs deeply at us. When he groans inside of himself and says, man... You're looking for a sign and I'm standing right in front of you. Some of you are looking for something that you're not going to find, friends. But here's what you will find in Jesus. You'll find everything you absolutely need in the person of Jesus Christ. And you know what? If you're looking for a sign, a wonder, whatever, look at Jesus first. He's the most incredible sign and wonder I know because he was dead three days. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to the heavenlies and he's promised I'm coming back. That's enough sign for me right now. Now listen. Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And verse 13 is stunning. And he left them. He didn't argue. He didn't fuss. He just says, bye. And he left them. And getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples, you've got to understand what this is following. you get got to sit down and just a minute. This is what this is following. He just fed 5,000 people. Okay? He'd just taken five, 
fish and some loaves and he broke it and fed 5,000 people with, with just a little food. And, and here they are. And the disciples, now notice this, that all the disciples can think about is the bread. Isn't it amazing in our, we have digressed to this point in church life in America that all we can think about is our bread. And here's the son of the living God getting in the boat with them. And it says, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. and They did not have more than one, one, one loaf in the boat. What, what this is leaving out is, you know, you know, Mark's just penning this stuff. And, and I think the Holy Spirit's really gracious to us because he left out the conversation of the guys. These are 12 wonderful guys. You know, they're like a traveling circus. And I can hear the conversation. They're griping. Man, we forgot the bread. Peter, did you bring things for sandwiches? No. What are we going to do? And they're thinking about their sustenance for the day when the bread of life is literally sitting in their boat. And Jesus now dials it in and he, he calls forth what's going on here. Then he charged them. To charge is to say, listen guys. Here's what you need to pay attention to. You're worried about bread. I just fed 5,000 people. You probably could have got some loaves, but you're just not... One of the things that disciples had a hard time is planning ahead. You're just not planning ahead here. But he says, beyond that, you're sitting here bickering about bread, and I'm going to charge you with something. And he gives them the clue as to what they're dealing with. He says, take heed. That means wake up and pay attention Beware of the leaven, everybody say leaven, of the Pharisees and the leaven of heaven, and, 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 of, of Herod. And they reasoned among, here he's given them the what for, and they said, is it because we have no bread? You know how many churches I, 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 I've dealt with a lot of churches in my 30 some years of ministry, and it's amazing to me, the Holy Spirit will speak a word into a people and they worry about the bread. And they don't worry about the word. Now there's two things here that Jesus wanted them to pay attention to. The leaven of the Pharisees. And, and remember, Paul would later write in Corinthians, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The leaven of the Pharisees speaks to a religious spirit. He says, don't, guys, make sure, pay attention that you don't get caught up and be leavened by a religious spirit. A religious spirit is that which cares more about the trappings of church than the one who gave his life for the church. I, you know what? There's times I could... In fact, we did meet in a garage for a while on the north side and had some pretty good times because you know what? God literally had to strip away all the religion from us and left us in a garage to seek his face. I promise you, you're going to be on the upside of that. But here's the deal. God does not care about your performance in church. He does not care about whether or not you like or dislike the worship or, or how the preacher does or the pastor's wife's hair. I mean, I don't know, but I'm, I'm just listening. To, he doesn't care. And if you do... You've got a religious spirit. A religious spirit does not care about people. 
one of the things you're going to learn about me, I love my sheep enough that if I see a wolf, I will shoot that wolf. I am not afraid. Let me, I just want to, I love you enough. If I see a wolf messing with you, somebody comes in, the church, or there's, and usually wolves start by gossip. I find that out. We're on a hunt. Because, you know what? Jesus loved the sheep so much that he left 99 of them to go after one. That's how intense he is about sheep. So Jesus said, take heed to the leaven of the Pharisees, that religious spirit. We're going to pray against that this morning. And the second thing is, he said, and the leaven of Herod. You know what? The leaven of Herod was a political spirit. Say, political spirit in the church? Oh, dear Lord. You know what? This morning when we were worshiping, God did not smack Gabriel on his wing and go, oh, you know what? I don't know about those people up front. I I think we need to replace them. And there's several people that would like to replace them. Political spirit. And I want you to hear this very carefully. We went through this. We dealt with it on the south side. Every once in a while we remind them. But let me tell you something. Jesus was never voted into office. And he is the head of the church. Not me. Not elders. Not you. And God has not called us to be political. Political means I run around and try to get everybody on my side. Now you mix that with a pharisaical spirit and you've got a disaster. And we're not going to be a disaster. We're going to have one Lord, one spirit. We're going to have the unity of one faith. And we're moving ahead. I want you to take your neighbor by the hand and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray some things that you might not understand. There'll be a day when I can give you understanding, but we're taking the time this morning. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to take authority right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you in Ephesians 4.11 that you said in your word that you, Jesus, gave to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints of the ministry. Lord, I I lay claim to none of that except by what your Holy Spirit would do in this place. But Lord, you you have for some reason in in your sense of humor have placed me here to guide this church and to drive the bus of South Side and the North Side True Life Church. So right now I pick up the role that you have given me and in the name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would take, help us take authority right now over the religious spirit that has encrusted the North Side Church for many, many years, Lord. It's been about all about position and all about things, and it hurts. But God, right now, you are speaking to people in this house right now. And they are feeling a release right now in their spirit. They've been afraid to worship. They've been afraid to let go. Because they're worried about what someone else will think. Right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would release this house from any religious spirit. 
Lord Jesus, that there would be a true revelation of who you are. Jesus, that you would reveal yourself very clearly to this body. You'd reveal yourself very clearly to hearts. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you'd begin to bind up wounds that have, that have occurred because of a religious spirit. And now in the name of Jesus, we together, we, we wrap ourselves to the will of God and we loose off of this people any political spirit, God. Any clamoring for position or for attention. Lord, I pray right now, you would break it not only off their heart, but off their hearing, Lord. Let them begin to hear very clearly, Jesus, what the Spirit is saying to the church in the last days. Let them hear with ears of the Spirit. Lord, I pray for ears to be healed right now in the physical and in the spiritual that you would heal ears right now. Lord Jesus, as a body, we stand before you and we declare ourselves right now free from religious and political spirits. We, we ask right now, Jesus, you clear our eyes that we can see with eyes of hope that, God, you just haven't called us here to fail. But you've called us, Lord God, to place your church in this city and that the gates of hell will not be able to stop what you're about to do. Lord, I ask for absolutely a clear atmosphere every time we become into worship from here on out. Lord, I pray for a clear atmosphere. I pray, God, the Psalms that talks about that you will stop idle tongues. I'm asking you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that idle tongues would be harnessed in the name of Jesus. God, I pray right now that, Lord God, you would raise up an absolute army in this place that says, as for me and my house, we're serving Jesus. We're not serving that religious junk anymore. We're not serving that political junk anymore. We're not after position or place or presence. We are after the Lord Jesus Christ. We are runners after Him. Now I want you to just ask before you're seated, I want you to let go and I want you to just lift your hands and I want you to Pray this. I want you to ask Jesus, say, draw me and I'll run after you. Pull me close and I'll run after you. Pull me close and I'll run after you. Come on. Pull me close and I'll run after you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Jesus, draw us this morning. Draw us this morning. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to hear the word of God this morning. You can be seated. I want to go back to where we, where we left off last week. We're in Song of Songs, chapter 1, based out of where we, we started Hosea 2.14, where God is going to allure the wayward bride. And we've been working out of that on the steps to being allured by God, to being drawn away by the Lord to a place of healing and rest. Now, Song of Psalm, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I, she says, I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun is tanning. My mother's sons were un- angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. That right there is a huge Huge, huge statement. Verse 7, Tell me, O you whom I love, where, you, where do you feed your flock? 
Why do you make it rest at noon? Or why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? If you do not know fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock. Feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. Now, last week, we, we, were, we were coming to the point where we were talking about that every time that God wants to draw you closer to himself, a spiritual crisis will occur in your life. Now, I, I wish it was some other way, that we're just skipping through life very nicely and we wake up one day and say, wow, I'm ten times more in love with Jesus this morning. You know, I had Cheerios and the vitamins in it just surged in my veins and I love Jesus now. But the problem is we as humans get in what we call a rut. And many times the only way God can get us out of that rut is to throw a little grenade circumstance in there and circumstances occur. And what normally our first process is we're either mad at God or we run to God. Now, being mad at God is not, I, I, I don't think, I personally don't believe that's a, a necessarily a horrible thing. I think it's honest. I love honest people. I love people when they're honest and say, I don't get God. I don't understand him. If there is a God, why is he acting like this? It's okay to ask those questions. The other side is many people, when the grenade goes off and they're dealing with circumstances, they just automatically run to the Lord. God brings them up another level as they work through all the debris and all the stuff. God's constantly, constantly, constantly changing them. Now, I'm going to tell this little story to you first, and then then we're going to work very systematically. Um, and, 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 And you... You got to understand, this is very convicting for me. I told my wife this story, but right now I'm going through a a personal study, a series of of studies on dealing with the prophetic. I believe that God desires in the last days for the church of Jesus Christ to be a church that is speaking what is going on in the heavens, to be talking a direct language of the heavens in the sense of God has a lot to say. And he's looking for, you see, the voice of the bridegroom is going to be heard again in the land. And so in order for that to occur, we've got to learn how does he speak, how does he work. So uh, I'm, I'm going through some stuff by, by you know, different, different uh, you know, resources. But I've always been a, a real, uh, I've, I've paid a lot of attention to a guy by the name of Graham Cook. Graham Cook has been one of kind of a, a just... If he writes it, I read it. And some of the, you know, I'm a kind of guy, people say, you believe everybody, everybody says no. I'm a, I was raised a fish eater. I was raised in Longview. And, I, you know, I used to go fishing every summer and we'd get the salmon and the trout. And I love, you know, you put salmon and trout in front of me and that's good stuff. But one of the things, they always have bones in them. Well... I don't have to eat the bones. I can know how to spit the bones out. There's good. And so, you know, nothing freaks me out. I'll read just about anything to learn. Graham Cook tells a story. And it was so convicting to me that Friday I told it to Elizabeth and she began to name the names of people. And I said, well, that's unfair. And she began to preach to me. And I didn't raise my hand and get saved. I'm just going to tell you right now. In fact, I shunned the altar. But... Uh, Graham Cook, in the early 1980s, began a school of prophecy in England. And 
As soon as he did, three guys showed up. These three guys went out and raised enough money so they could follow Graham Cook wherever he went, so they could tell people they'd go from church to church whenever he would come into a town and tell them what heresy he was teaching because he was teaching about prophecy. They would come and sit on the front row of his meetings, take notes so they could go out to the local newspapers and the local pastors and share with people how ungodly and how unscriptural. (laughs) Of course, it didn't matter to them that they were being unscriptural, but that's a religious spirit. And so just constantly, at, so, so Graham Cook was getting obviously angry and was to the point where he was ready to lay hands, not on the sick, but on these guys. One night he was sleeping, and I don't know if any of you have this, but God does speak through dreams. I don't put a lot of stock in it because there are times that the pizza is overwhelming. But God has spoken to me many times. When, that's the only time he can get my attention. It's when I'm out cold and he sticks his finger in my brain, causes me to have a dream. I'll usually wake up screaming. She'll say, what it is, what, what's the problem? We're all going to hell! And, you know, that wasn't the dream, though. He fell asleep, started to dream. And in his dream, he was suddenly in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was sitting at right hand of the Father on his throne. So Graham says, I went over and climbed up in Jesus' lap. We began to talk. He says, the master, Jesus turned to him and said, Graham, would you like to see something? He says, sure. He says, I want to show you a project I'm working on. He says, well, that'd be neat, Jesus. So Jesus told Gabriel, bring it in, and brought in this, this about six foot two, Beautiful square of granite rock, polished, shined, looked wonderful. Jesus, what are you doing? Well, I want to show you. He says, go ahead, guys, start. And all of a sudden, there's these, these, these arms and stuff, and they're just pounding away on this granite, and granite's flying everything, everywhere, and it's beginning to take shape, and Suddenly Graham realized what it was starting to look like and he started to giggle and Jesus kind of had a, he says, Jesus had a funny look in his eye and he was giggling too. And pretty soon, you know, Gabriel's rolling, they're just laughing it up, having a good time because what Graham was seeing was a sculpture of himself being made out of this, out of this granite, this rock. And it was, he says it was so accurate and so right. And he, they're just going through it all. And, and they're just having a great time. The angels are hooping it up. And because Graham says, this is funny. You, can re- you really are a creator. This is incredible. And when the project was all done, he says, Jesus, with a twinkle in his eye, said, Graham, would you like to see who the sculptors were? He says, well, sure. I'd love to congratulate them because this is, this is awesome. This looks incredible. The Lord Jesus cleared Graham's eyes and standing there were the three guys that had been at his meetings every night, tearing him down and tearing him apart. He says, Graham, these are the grace growers in your life. And they're shaping you. He says he was instantly angry at Jesus. He says, Jesus, I don't think you're funny. This isn't cute. This is wrong. But then he says the Holy Spirit began to remind him. Ever since these three guys showed up, 
You've made sure that everything you taught was biblical and scripturally backed. You've began to be excellent in everything you do. You've left no sloppiness, no holes, because you were afraid of what they would do. They have made you who you are. Our spiritual crisis, friends, the people or the circumstances in our life are grace growers in our life. And every time God wants to allure us to His heart, He will bring about circumstances that will begin to pound upon our life as He begins to shape us and focus us into His image and the image that He sees of us. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The creation part, we like His workmanship, but the creation part we don't quite understand. And it's, it's God allowing things to bang upon the beautiful marble slab that is called our life and to carve out His image and how He sees us into that. So last week we, we began to talk about grace and that crisis that brings. I want to go back to the word felony because we, we talked about how do we operate in grace because here's the deal. How many of you know you're always going to have some grace growers in your life? If it's not people, it's temptation. If it's not temptation, it's situations. If it's not situations like finances, it's situations like relationships. Wherever you're at, because see, The guy that needed the most grace of all the disciples was Peter. The last words that Peter pens in his letters are this. But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter knew that there was a lot of grace growers in his life and situations. So we got to understand that God wants our, our grace and his grace to grow in us So he can allure us. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. Because this is something I feel very strongly this week that we needed to address. How do we operate in grace without turning sin into a misdemeanor? I asked you that question last week. Because we're ambassadors of grace and mercy through reconciliation. And I, I think there comes a point where we have, to, we have to recognize that there is a difference. There is a difference between grace and mercy and that we don't have clearly, and if you can put the next slide up, that would be great, Amanda. We don't have clearly a good understanding in the American church about grace. Uh, the next one. Go to the next one. Okay. Getting a hold of grace. Now I want you to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. There is a perversion today of grace that reduces forgiveness, by reducing forgiveness without repentance and seeking to make people comfortable with God while living in compromise. I, I, I ran across some things this week and I want to make sure you get the balance of it. Because we're talking about how God loves us and His grace trans, transforming us. How many of you know that God is not, now this is going to shock some of you, God is not a legalist. (gasps) But it's all black and white. No, God's not a legalist. God is a chaser of the heart. 
At the same time, God is not, and I'm going to use a big word here, but we'll explain it. God's not loose or licentious. He just doesn't go, well, hoop it up. It's amazing to me how people want a grace and want to grow in a grace. Now check this out. Where they are not held accountable for their life or lifestyle. Now here's where the church gets in trouble. The church tries to become the accounting agency. And we're not called to be the account. We're not called to be the accounting agency. In fact, I read in Romans that God imputes his righteousness. He accounts his righteousness into our account. So I can't be an accounting agency of your sin or, or keeping you on the straight and narrow or bless God, we're going to have all these rules and you're going to follow them. That's not going to work. But God's not loose. And, and let me help you with it. And uh, if you're a 20-something or a 50-something or an 80-something, I don't care. It applies to everybody in this room because we all got goofy ideas when it comes to God and His grace. Some of you see God as an absolute, He's got a bat in His hand and that every time you, out of, you get out of whack, He cracks you one. And so it's not unrealistic to me that when you have a spiritual crisis, your first thing is, God's mad at me, or He hates me, or I've done something wrong. So you can't grow in that kind of grace. Or on the other hand, you fall in temptation and you really do do something wrong. Well, God's just a really a good guy, and He's going to overlook it. Now, I, I want to help you with something. How many of you know that you were made in the image of God? Yes. Right? So, let's take that a little bit further this morning. Would you serve a God that is loose? Because everybody says, well, we don't want to serve this legalistic, hard God over here. Well, me neither. I need a loving Father. By the way, a loving Father. Oh, I was kidding around with Joyce this morning. But, you know, here's what a loving Father does. Our middle child, so help me. Every time we'd get in a store, she would test every boundary there was. I mean, this kid was wired. I never, ever disciplined my kids in public. I don't believe that that's how Father God would do it. But I would whisper in her ear fatherly love words like, have a party, hon. Whoop it up. Enjoy the moment. Because when I get you to the car, your life is mine. It took about three times of her having a party and getting to the car to realize, I think when I'm in the store, I'm going to tone it down. It was like that from the time she... I, we're sitting in church. We were, we were associates at a church and... Church had a choir, so Elizabeth sang in the choir. And of course, I'm sitting on the platform, and and you know, and I'll never forget the choir. I just finished this resounding, you know, good-sized church, and so it's a beautiful choir, you know. Everybody's going, wow, you know, and they're, and I hear this voice sing out, just 
out over every voice. I told you that's why they needed practice. And again, I remember coming off one day the platform and leaning over because she had this, one of the things we did with our kids, and I, it's just a thing we did because being pastor's kids, we wanted, we expected certain things from them. We didn't expect them to be perfect because they were the pastor's kids. In fact, I didn't like it when people wanted my kids to be different than theirs. But one of the things, because of how I was raised with a respect for the gathering of God's people, for a while until we felt they had it plugged in, they were in worship with us. They learned to sit in church. You know, we, we had this bag that we would take that we didn't expect them to understand what the pastor was saying, but they were sitting in the house of God hearing the Word of God. All three of my gar- girls intensely served Jesus Christ to this day. But I remember coming off the platform a few times and whispering in her ear, hope it's worth it. What? We're going to go home. And it's going to be me and you and no congregation. <laughs> oh, see, that's a loving father. He doesn't embarrass you. He doesn't make a public spectacle. But by the Holy Spirit, he will speak to us. He's done it to me. Whoop it up, son. Hope you're enjoying this. Because whom a father loves, he disciplines and chastens so that when it's all done, you can receive the peaceable fruit of righteousness. There's a reward at the end of it all. And so we got this God. We don't like the God that's hard. But I wonder how you would like a God that's loose. That you go to prayer and you start to pray, and all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up in the room. Sorry, uh, there'll be no praying today. Why? God's hungover. <laughs> he just decided to go out and get bombed last night, and he's hungover. Well, I'll pray to Jesus. Well, he's in worse shape. We would not put up with that in our God longer than this, would we? Why is it we want God to put up with that in us? Getting it? I want you to grab hold of it. Because God has a grace He wants you to walk in that's going to grow you, not harm you. Now, wrong thinking on grace empowers compromise and passivity as it gives false confidence to people in their relationship with God. I, I, I tell you something of a truth that I don't want to have a wrong idea about God and His grace. So here's the thing about grace I want to get into your head, and then we're going to go to becoming a Lord. We've got to learn to cooperate with God's grace. And I want you to get this principle in your head because I want you to grow in grace. I want all those things that are chipping away on your block. I don't, you, I don't even want you to see your failures as something that's horrible. I want to see you to see your failure because we, we have on our wall, in our home, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up. I'm less about the failure and more about the getting up. Because <laughs> I know I might fail, but that means if I get up, God's going to use that to chisel more of his image into my life.
Now, I need to cooperate with grace, though. So there's two things in cooperating with grace that I've got to get down. I need to learn my part of grace. You say, my part of grace? Yep. I need to learn to make quality decisions, to deny myself. There are times that I just need to say no. Now, I can't do that on my own, and I'll show you. Grace is a two, you have to have both parts here. So the first part is our part to deny ourselves, to feed our spirit on the Word. I'll have 20-something come to me on the south side, they'll say, man, I really got this habit, I I just can't seem to break it. First question, either Ron or one of the guys will ask them is, tell me about your uh, time with God and reading the Word. I just don't have time. I don't have time. Really? You want to overcome pornography, but you don't have time to read the Word. Guess what? You're in a world of hurt. Your boat's sinking and you're going down. So my part is I need to learn. I need to make quality decisions. I need to feed my spirit on the Word. I need to ask for help in prayer. You know, here's what I've learned. God wants to empower supernaturally my will. I've learned there are some things I'm just incapable of making right decisions on sometimes. So I have to ask God, empower my will. Empower my choices. Holy Spirit, I need to rely on you to help me do this. He will. And then I have to, I have to learn to embrace godly activities and relationships. Okay? Now, if that's the only part of grace we talk about, then we're in trouble because it's all based on you. But that's your part. But here's God's part, and it's cool. God's part is to release supernatural. I want to stop right there and help you understand. Supernatural doesn't mean natural. I get weary of guys that tell you to do five steps and it's all going to work out when I need a supernatural God to walk into my life because I can't even get to the first step. And as a Holy Spirit-activated church, we need to understand God wants to do something supernatural in you to overcome your weaknesses. He wants to bring a work of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm not, you know, some people ask me, are, are you afraid for Katie? She's back in the middle of that student awakening in Kansas City. And, and you know, Greg came back last week and one of our, our young, our finance guy, he came back last week and he says, I've nicknamed your daughter the fish. I said, why? She's flopping all over the place. I said, are you worried about that? No, I'm going to tell you what. Sometimes God just has to do that. In fact, you know what? All of you, when you go in for surgery, get an anesthesia, don't you? That's why some of you, God's going to put under his power and leave you on the floor for a while so that he can operate on you till he gets his grace in you, till he does something supernatural in you that you get up and you go, you know what? I don't have to make this decision anymore. The Holy Spirit's making it inside of me. It's supernatural. So he has to supernaturally release influences on your heart. Remember this, your heart, Jeremiah says in chapter 17, is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Well, I want you to know there is a person who can know it. He's the one who searches the minds and hearts, and he wants to supernaturally influence your heart. Well, how does he supernaturally influence your heart? Temptation comes. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with temptation. 
Jesus was tempted. But Jesus knew how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when temptation comes, I guarantee you, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there is no temptation given among men that God has not prepared a way of escape. How do I find the way of escape? I listen to the supernatural voice of the Holy Spirit as He influences my heart. Haven't you ever had those instances you're being tempted by something and the Holy Spirit says, take a left turn and go this way and failure will come if you go the right turn. It's the supernatural influence of the... The church doesn't understand that today. The church is wanting a loose God that will hoop it up with them. And God says, I want you successful. I want you overcoming. I want you to understand I'm going to make you like me. And you're going to be a a believer that literally hell's going to be afraid of. But you can't live over here. You can't live in legalism. You can't live in looseness. You've got to live in the realm and the sphere of my love. And so he says, listen, so his part is to supernaturally influence my heart. His part is to supernaturally influence my circumstances. Don't ever lay down and say, whatever will be, will be. I just got the the bad end of the deal. I guess that's the way. I am not a fatalist, friends, because God has overcome everything I face. And He calls me to be an overcomer. I don't have the function within myself to be an overcomer, but here's the deal. Jesus in me can overcome. And he wants to supernaturally influence my circumstances. If you're having financial trouble in this house this morning, don't stop praying and obeying until God busts it open for you. If you're sick in your body, by the way, can I tell you what's going on in the south side in prayer? Since Bob and Susan prayed for Jackie, she, Jackie Hopkins, who has, had total MS, she was on stuff that was like chemotherapy. Now check this out. She goes to the doctor last week. The doctor tells her, I don't know what's going on, but your MS has come to a halt It's not progressing any farther. In fact, it's showing major improvement. (laughs) The lady, Roberta, that you went and prayed for in the hospital, the doctors had basically given her a diagnosis. There's cancer all through your body. and, And basically, we don't know what to do with you except for to send you to a recovery place and we'll make, do a little surgery. And, you know, they, she had a tumor on her bone. They'd had to cut it out. It had broken the bone in her leg. They're putting her screws in her leg. They put a plate on her, sent her off to rehab and hope for the best. She gets a, a full body scan MRI or something last week. Doctor's going, well, looks like we got everything. We don't see anything. We're going to fix this over here and then we'll be done. You see, God supernaturally wants to influence your circumstances. And I want to get this into you because you've lost this over here. And I want you to get it back inside of you. We don't quit. We don't lay down. We don't die. 
We raise up on our, ha- on our feet. We let Jesus stand up inside of us and say, you know what? Our circumstance may be lousy right now, but there is a Jesus coming to supernaturally influence my circumstance. There needs to be a new rise of faith in you. You might be losing your home. You might be losing your job. Your kids might be all, you know, and and you might have all kinds of problems. Don't lay down to the circumstance. Let the Holy Spirit influence you to stand up. Because that's your part. That's his part of grace. And the third thing he wants to influence is our relationships. Oh, I'm going to have to go there. (laughs) When was the last time you seriously in prayer asked God about your relationships? So what, 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 what do you mean? Okay. How many of you know it's real easy to figure out that there's a skunk in the room? Because there's an odor, right? Skunks stink. So it's not hard to identify a skunk. You just follow your nose. But a wolf knows how to wear sheep's clothing. Now here's the deal. You have to come to a point in your life where you tell the Holy Spirit, supernaturally influence my relationships. If I'm hooked up to the wrong people, if I'm listening to the wrong people, if I'm relating to the wrong people, fix it. And that's going to take supernatural, supernatural help. We, we were praying for a girl one Sunday morning. My wife was. She wanted deliverance. She, she messed up. Her wife's got her hands on her praying for her. And Elizabeth is the mild manner of us too. She's a lover of people. I love people. I'm just different in my love. And uh, she just lets, you know, lets it flow. And me, I'm a shepherd, you know. I, I got the crook here and the stick. and whatever. No, anyway. So she's praying for this gal. And she... Miss Nice stops. Point blank asks her, who's that, who's that guy over there? Now you've got to understand, this guy had sat on the front row all morning looking at me, leering at me. So that meant I preached right here. <laughs> See, it's the Scottish in me. I can't help it. You're going to take, pick a fight? Let me tell you something. The William Wallace comes out. I mean, let's go. So I'm standing here and I'm looking at some of my, I'm looking at my my bodyguards and stuff and I'm giving them the eye saying, it's coming. He's going. And I'm looking at him and I finally stop preaching and we start praying. I start binding and loosing. Well, that resulted in an altar call. So she's up here sobbing and here's this guy. My wife goes, are you sleeping with him? Is that your boyfriend? Are you sleeping with him? Yep. She says, you want delivered? She says, yep. Then you go over there and break up with him right now. Some of you are going, no. 
To be supernaturally influenced in your relationships means I'm supernaturally influenced in my relationships. It's kind of hard to ask God to deliver me when I'm going to go back in the same poo that He delivered me out of. Come on. I have to be supernaturally delivered. I have to be... I saw, so she didn't do it, and guess what? She went right back into it for a few months. Now we might be getting her out again. We don't know. But here's the deal. You, the Holy Spirit wants you to, to allow Him to help you with your relationships. And it's not just in a bad thing like that. You, now, uh, now, some of you are going to just go, Whoa, but you need to hear it. <laughs> this is going to tweak your brain a little bit. But uh, I've got witnesses here. We've, we, we, know, we, know the, we know how to ride this horse. Here's the deal. Just because a person goes to church doesn't mean it's the best relationship for you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Some of you are going, well, they're a Christian. Well, how many of you know, I want you to get this into your head. Like strongholds, issues that you deal with in your heart that have become, that aren't totally surrendered yet to God. Like strongholds attract like strongholds. So if I have a, a, a stronghold of a bad attitude... I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be worshiping with these people, God is good, and I'm going to wind up being attracted to other people that have a bad attitude. And then pretty soon, we start our own ministry. And we tell people we've been given this, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit of criticism. <laughs> which is not a gift of the Spirit. <laughs> it comes from a little bit lower. You follow me? So we need to ask God to supernaturally influence our relationships, okay? That's cooperating with God's grace. Now we looked at, how many of you just learned something just now? I wanna, we're going to stop. I want you to just put your Bibles down for a moment. You don't have to stand. We're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. And uh, we're just going to begin, we're going to begin to ask God to supernaturally influence our heart supernaturally influence our circumstances and supernaturally influence our relationships. Are you ready? Close your eyes. Put your hand on your heart. Here we go. In the name of Jesus, we ask Jesus that you would come right now and you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to supernaturally influence our heart. Lord, our heart has been led astray so many times. We've gone after our heart and not paid attention to You. But Jesus, we're asking right now that You would come and supernaturally influence our heart. Influence it toward Your, your Son. Influence our heart, O oh God, toward Your Word and toward just re- fellowshipping with You. Lord, we're asking that You would draw our hearts supernaturally to You. And Lord, I ask that You would supernaturally influence Influence our circumstances this morning, God. Lord, there's people in this room that need healing. There's people in this room that need finances. But God, those are the things that are growing us in grace. At the same time, we're asking you to come and supernaturally influence those things that are broken in our lives. Supernaturally influence finances this morning, God. Supernaturally influence... Man, I want to go back to that. Supernaturally influence finances. Lord, there are people in this room that have been 
faithful to you. And God, even in making mistakes in finances, Lord, you still forgive. And I ask, Jesus, that you would come and break off any spirit of poverty that has linked itself to people's minds and hearts. And God, you begin to supernaturally influence finances. Supernaturally influence finances. Supernaturally provide finances, God. Lord, I'm praying, Jesus, it'll be like Elisha going down to the brook and the raven begins to feed and begins to take care of. God, begin to supernaturally provide financially, God. I pray you supernaturally begin to heal bodies. Lord, there's people that are sick in this room this morning. Lord, I pray you'll supernaturally begin to affect those circumstances. And Lord, we're asking you to supernaturally affect relationships. God, I pray that we begin to hear your voice. You begin to give us the eyes of understanding and of revelation on what to do and how to do it. God, give us those eyes and wings to see and to hear and to act and to to react to the relationships that are in our life. God, Make us aware of ungodly things that are influencing us, even in church, God. Lord, I pray right now you'd break ungodly soul ties off of people, Lord, where we've been in wrong relationships. God, I'm asking for this whole church right now. Lord, there were wrong soul ties in the past. Things were not right. There were things going on in secret. There were things going on behind the scenes. And I'm asking you, Jesus, right now to break that off of your people, Lord. Supernaturally begin to influence it right now. Supernaturally begin to set people free. We're going to stop right here with every head bowed and every eye closed. You need a supernatural touch on your heart this morning. Supernatural touch on your circumstances. Or supernatural touch influence in your relationships. I want you to stand right where you're at.